Welcome to today's energy show. It's my pleasure to introduce Antoine Paquin, CEO of Cilantro Semiconductor. Cilantro makes chipsets for renewable energy and power generation applications. These are solar chips, not some kind of renewable health food snack. These chipsets combine multiple functions on just a few tiny mass-produced chips. That way, they're much, much less expensive. The first inverters that I installed, and these were microinverters, had big printed circuit ports, and they were kind of potted inside, and they're expensive and heavy and hot. The, um, they're, they're large. Even the first inverters were, were like twice the size of a microwave oven. And now with these integrated systems, they're getting much smaller, much more efficient, and most importantly, much less expensive. So this is a great potential for reducing costs for, for rooftop solar and power applications of all type, and I'm very glad to have well, um, Antoine on our show. So welcome, Antoine. Thank you, Barry. All right. So first, tell us about Cilantro's products. Well, per your introduction, we do complete chipsets that dramatically lower the cost of uh, electronics, all the while uh, driving a higher reliability of systems. We are committed to continually uh, cost-reducing the cost of um, hardware. And as part of our business, we offer complete open reference platforms, which are essentially hardware that embeds our chipsets that show blueprints for different applications of how to best leverage the chipset to deliver the best reliability, best performance, lowest cost hardware uh, for solar, as well as other renewable power generation applications. So, so before we kind of dive into what some of these applications are, what, what's the analogy in, in the regular PC industry to going from printed circuit boards to chipsets? What, what companies have followed that path? The first company, uh, and ironically, um, a lot of our members came from that legacy uh, with uh, chips and technologies in the PC industry. If you will recall, uh, when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, and I was, uh, yes, I was around back then, most PCs were built around different chipsets that Intel uh, delivered until a company appeared in the market by the name of Chips and Technologies that showed how you could dramatically simplify the design of motherboards and uh, daughterboards using their own chipsets. And the initial uh, adopters of that technology were the big Taiwanese uh, ODMs, Acer and company, that basically became the dominant players in the industry for hardware, motherboards in particular, that were built around the Intel microprocessor using fully integrated chipsets. So what we have today, when you look at a motherboard of a PC, or a more recent analogy, when you look at uh, the board for a, tel- a cellular phone, you have much cleaner PCBs that cost dramatically lower. Uh, bill of materials have gone that down a factor of 10x as a result of chipset integration, because what you end up doing is you end up with very high reliability hardware that you run on a silicon printing press which allows for mass scalability of your solutions on the one hand, all the while enabling uh, repeatable performance and reliability on the other end. This is exactly what we do. So why don't, I mean, you know, talking about the the computer companies or the cell phone companies now or even the the solar electronics companies, why don't those companies make their own chipsets? Why do they have to buy them from somebody else? Well, a little bit of a history lesson. When I... um, my last two companies, Cilantro is my fourth semiconductor company. My last two companies were in the cell phone industry. And I remember in the um, late 90s approaching Motorola and Nokia, 
because of the chipsets we were integrating together. And companies like Motorola and Nokia were the experts in radio technology. Companies like Apple and Samsung did not know a heck of a lot about how to build cell phones, uh, nor did uh, companies like BenQ. And fast forward to today, what those companies uh, successfully did, Nokia and Motorola insisted on doing their own chips, and we all know where they are today, versus companies like BenQ uh, and Samsung partnered with the chipset uh, vendors and ultimately focused on the true differentiator. In other words, the differentiator was not how you make a radio work. That is an entry point. It's a cost. It's a necessity of the product. The differentiation was on the functionality software and the features that made the product most appealing to the consumers and the channels that serve those consumers. We're starting to see the same thing in the hardware for renewable power, which is still a very uh, nascent and early industry, that the players that exist today exist by virtue of the fact that they are power conversion experts. They know how to build hardware, but the hardware today is too expensive. And when you look at how solar is no longer sufficient in events on its own, but now you're starting to look at solar combined with demand response, combined with storage, and this list will increase, the focus becomes now on system integration, the tools that allow you to integrate different power delivery units together and ultimately deliver functionality that the channels will uh, feature as a premium. For example, what kind of cloud uh, tools that you have to enable consumers to monitor what's going on, to enable channels to understand what's going on in a given installation and uh, perform proper diagnostics, and so on. So I think we're about to observe a repeating of history, and we're definitely seeing it from the orders we're getting. Uh, A lot of our customers are based in Asia today and are... Uh, starting to focus on those types of issues. So, so basically, you've got uh, companies that are focusing on their brands and their products, like uh, you know, SMA with regular inverters or Enphase with microinverters or SunPower with you know lots of great new solar modules, and and they're going to focus on those capabilities, the packaging, the branding, maybe the software, and Solantro is going to provide some of the chipsets that are internally that just provide basic functionality, and you're able to to crank those chipsets out very inexpensively, certainly much less expensively than these other companies could by developing their own chipsets because you're going to sell more of them or with uh, discrete electronics. That is absolutely correct. And uh, the industry will realize very quickly, and it is starting to realize, that hardware is not a differentiator, it's an entry point. The differentiator and where the real margins are made in this industry are in the functionality. In other words, the software and the intellectual property as well as uh, what you offer your channels that makes you the preferred solution. Right. Yeah. We're about to see a repeat of history here. Yep, yep, that's it. it, it history keeps repeating itself, and uh, you know the people that are smart enough to uh, be aware of the technology and see how it's going to evolve and kind of get a little bit ahead of the curve are going to do well. So, so let's talk about some of the specific applications that you have with the Solantro's chipsets. You and I first got in touch with each other because you have chipsets and reference designs for microinverters. Tell us a little bit about that. So we do have reference designs that ship today to uh, customers for complete microinverters. We actually have two complete microinverter design kits that ship today. We have a couple more that are in the lab on the drawing board. Uh, there tends to be a fair bit of segmentation in this industry. Some inverters, manufacturers are looking at a functionally rich applications. For example, the ability to handle reactive power for applications like being put off-grid as a power backup solution and or for grid support functions in markets like Germany. 
We have other customers who are much more focused on what is the absolute lowest cost microinvert that can be delivered in the industry, and the industry ultimately will have to target less than 10 cents a watt between now and 2020. And in the interim, the target is 20 cents a watt, which is comparable to what you get from string inverters. The, the core challenge of microinverters today has been that it is a premium functionality approach to how you integrate solar solutions together. It does make the job of uh, different channels much easier. But the caveat to this is that it is still too expensive. The right approach is with chipset integration to dramatically lower the cost of the hardware and therefore enable the market to grow much more faster because we're able to drop the cost of the solution. Well, the, the microinverters are, are terrific in terms of uh, reducing installation costs, and, and I, do, I totally agree with you because you know every week we buy a whole bunch of microinverters that they're more expensive than ordinary string inverters. But we find at Cinnamon Solar that we're able to complete installations from the, the, the moment we get a lead to, you know, the, to completely monitoring every single module in the customer's roof, it turns out to be a less expensive solution. So the, the, the premium price we pay for the microinverters is worth it because it saves us a lot of direct and indirect labor. Um, but but it's, it's, it's interesting that you talk about dirt cheap microinverters. I'm sure there's going to be some out there, but it's, it's key to get the, the hardware costs of that way down. And, and then microinverters, I think, are really going to take off. But, so, so, but there's a completely different approach in the solar industry on the rooftop. You know, residential and commercial is not with microinverters, but with string inverters connected to optimizers. Are you guys doing anything with uh, DC to DC optimizers? We are. Today we have four chips uh, as part of our chipset. We have a couple more chips that we are validating with early adopter customers. We have uh, complete reference designs for DC optimizers, intelligent junction boxes that are able to detect ground faults, arc faults, as well as do the substring optimization and eliminating completely the bypass diodes. We tend to focus on complete reference designs that our customers can build on top of and differentiate primarily from a functionality standpoint. And last but not least, it's not quite on our website yet. If you look at our website, you'll see the products we ship today uh, to uh, customers. But we also have an Artfold Detect chip that is um, being defined. It's already in customer hands. It's been uh, tested and verified as probably the best solution in the industry today in terms of not only detecting real arcs uh, without mistake, but not detecting false arcs. So we will be releasing a whole bunch of solutions, which are really applications around our existing chipset and how we keep evolving it. Well, the, the, uh, the arc faults sound kind of obscure, but they're really, really important. And, and basically what an arc is, is if there's some kind of short in a system, um, you that could potentially melt some wire, melt some metal, create a fire. And the arc fault circuits immediately detect that arc, that little you know, variation in the electrical signal, and they shut things down. And there's, I think it's a new 17, UL 1741 requirement that all rooftop systems have some kind of arc fault protection. So Cilantro having a chipset that's going to provide that functionality is, is really terrific. And for the record, there are chipsets that do it today. The problem is not that they don't detect real arcs, is that they detect 30 false arcs before they detect a real arc. And as a result of that, what happens if uh, to the little boy who cries uh, wolf too often, well, when there's a real wolf, everybody ignores the little boy, right? It's a story we all learned as kids. So it's very important to have solutions out there that do not detect or falsely trigger. 
yet do trigger when there's a real event. Well, and, and you know, that's why I, I, I like microinverters, because they completely eliminate that possibility. But I see more and more DC systems with optimizers becoming popular. And, and the last thing that an installer wants to deal with, whether it's residential or commercial, is these false, you know, f- false positives where you think there's a problem, the system shuts down, you go out there and you find out, you know, somebody flew a drone over the system and that shot a signal down and it thought it was an arc and boom, you've got a, a truck roll that's going to cost you $150. So that's an important capability. We, we talked about kind of standard rooftop solar systems, optimizers, microinverters. There's a lot of interest right now in battery storage. Are you, does, does Cilantro have any chipsets or capabilities to help with this uh, the fast-growing battery storage industry? Absolutely. And I think battery is a killer app for solar, incidentally, because battery storage is what enables you to take a very sporadic energy source and make it predictable, predictive and predictable on the one hand, on the other hand, it has the benefit that it can act as grid support functions uh, as well as a uh, battery backup solution uh, combined with PV that can give you a complete uh, backup system. I'm sure a lot of people in New Jersey wish they had had battery uh, systems tied to their inverters when they had the big hurricane uh, that took them down. It must have been frustrating to see $10,000 of equipment on your roof uh, only to see that you were not able to generate any power because the grid was down. Yeah, all my relatives were looking around for generators, and then the ones that had generators uh, after like three days were looking around for gasoline. So um, they would have loved to have solar with battery storage. That would have really been a big help. Sun always shines, or in some degree anyway. But the key is that the existing chipset that we have that we use today for microinverters, DC optimizers, intelligent junction boxes, even the arc fault, is the same chipset that we have today in development for battery uh, backup system. We've received $4 million from the Canadian government, actually, to demonstrate self-forming nanogrids that can be both grid-tied and islanded, where we have microinverters and for PV and microinverters for battery that are able to be networked together and com- form a complete, stable power grid reference when the grid is down. We believe that this will become a very important enabler of PV and renewable. Yeah, I definitely see uh, pretty rapid growth in that respect. So so it sounds like these chipsets are, are fairly general purpose. Are they programmed in some way to provide the different functionality that you're talking about? They are. And in all of our reference platforms, we release the um, source code openly to our customers to both interact with, possibly evolve if they choose to do so, and or the APIs that are part of the uh, source code that they can interface with to uh, perform system integration. So w- one of the the new trends and you know really matches up well with solar and and local battery storage is this whole um, issue about managing two way energy flow. Sometimes you're sending power to the grid. Sometimes you're using power in the house. Sometimes you may be sending power to the charger in your car. How will your chipsets kind of help with that future of the electric grid? I suspect that a lot of these two-way flows will not be immediate requirements, but it will be important for our customers to be able to do firmware upgrades in the field in the future that allows them to embed those functionalities where they're applicable. As you know, the U.S. is not one regulatory framework. It's 50-some-odd regulatory frameworks with over- overlapping um, complex utility uh, networks. So we expect a lot of uh, different variations at the regulatory level, and so it's very important that the solutions be programmable, retrofitable, and that the hardware not be the limiting factor in 
unleashing software functionality. Yeah, and and having the communications is really important. I, I remember some situations that have happened in the U.S., particularly Hawaii, where the local utilities were saying, hey, you know, we need um, to lower the voltages that are being generated on the, the rooftop PV systems, and, and some inverter designs were able to kind of change that remotely without having to go out to every single site, and, and having that software update or software modification capability through the Internet is going to be really, really important. Yes, thank you. So, so um, where are you in terms of Cilantro's development? It sounds like you've got customers, reference designs, chipsets. How is the business growing? We're still early stage. We're sampling our existing uh, production silicon uh, to early adopters. We have 20 customers worldwide that are right now working with our existing chipset and reference platforms, uh, the full spectrum, as a matter of fact. And uh, we're ramping up sales as we speak right now. So this is our first year of entering real production sales, and we expect next year to be very exciting from that standpoint. And, and um, tell me a little bit about who your customers are or who your customer types are. Without uh, disclosing actual um, uh, active customers, because we are under NDA with uh, most of our early adopters, we have uh, a lot of customers in Taiwan, in Korea, China, Japan, that are driving existing applications in PV and storage today. Versus in the U.S. and in Europe, we have a lot of customers that are experimenting with our virtualizable power blade reference designs, which is a fancy word for using our chipsets to deliver paralyzable power blades that can scale the size of a power plant, ranging from a few kilowatts to tens of kilowatts into the hundreds of kilowatts, uh, and mixing and ma- uh, matching different energy sources, including battery storage and PV. So it really depends where in the world you're talking and what the battleground is. In the U.S., uh, we're seeing a lot of traction for next-generation platforms that are uh, tied to smart grid and microgrid, specifically microgrids that can act as smart grid support. Same thing in Europe. One of the big requirements also that's driving us in the U.S. and Europe is arc fault detection because of the install base. Versus in Asia, it's really uh, a greenfield market where uh, the, those markets are becoming domestic consumption, will probably be served by domestic players. And most of those domestic players are looking for chipsets that enable them to get the production faster. Yeah, you know, gee, the, the U.S. market is such a challenge because it's a big potential market. Everybody in the U.S. market wants to buy the same hardware. I mean, it would drive you nuts if you had to make 50 different inverters to meet the needs of 50 different states. But then every single one of these utilities may have a different way of managing their grid, and they're going to want slightly different requirements. So having having some of that dynamic update capability and, and, and firmware updates is really, really important. I, I can see why that's um, almost an, uh, an absolute requirement for any company that's going to be selling power electronics in the U.S. to make sure that it, it, it can be modified to meet utility requirements all over the country. Absolutely. And the day that utilities uh, get the thumbs up to have an unregulated portion to their business that allows them to install PV at customer sites will be a very interesting day for solar where uh, utilities will then start to look at how they can integrate that non-regulated part into the existing utility service to provide and get the um, uh, the leverage of uh, both sides of the equation. Yeah. I don't know when, if and when that's going to happen, but that would be exciting. Yeah, I would. I, I would 
call that an if because um, I, I've seen how ponderous the utilities are in terms of reacting to some of this new technology. And you can go through like three hardware, software product generations before the, the utility commissions make a decision on some, some procedure. So I think the hardware and the product offerings are going to race ahead of what the utilities can um, cope with. And, and you're just going to see a lot of people starting to um, put in uh, solar with battery backup because it's going to be cheaper and they're going to um, you know, they might pay a five or ten dollar a month standby charge to the utility, but they're going to make their own power, and that's totally practical. So, and and it's terrific that you guys are making some of the electronics that are going to enable that. You're based in Ontario, but you're in Silicon Valley, San Jose, a lot. What are the advantages of the two locations? Silicon Valley is still the center of the world in terms of shaping the future of technology, and we knew and understood that from previous ventures I built where. Uh, core business development activities were performed in the Bay Area. Ottawa has been a uh, blessing also because of the policies that we have in terms of R&D tax credits, the ability to attract and retain some of the best uh, analog uh, IC designers in the world and power designers in the world. I often joke in the Bay Area that I have to develop the business there uh, because this is where the industry is being shaped. But if my company had been uh, completely based in Silicon Valley, because of the amount of time that it takes to develop these types of products and the R&D cycles that are required, I probably would not have been as successful in hanging on to my core engineers versus being in Ottawa has given me the blessing to hang on to a very solid engineering team at the same time as leveraging the core advantage of the barrier, which is for business development. Yeah, that's that. That makes a lot of sense. It's it is uh, relatively expensive here, but then you, you just drive around the highways and you see um, chip company after electronics company after software company with big buildings around, and and um, this is kind of ground zero when it comes to business development. The um, whole world is out there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, um, it sounds like you spend a lot of time here in Silicon Valley. What else do you do for fun? Well, um, I have a second excuse for spending a lot of time in Silicon Valley is that I'm a frustrated surfer that lives most of the year in Ottawa, Canada, and I can tell you it's not a prime surfing destination. So <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do find an occasion uh, very often to spend the weekend in Silicon Valley and go surfing with fellow entrepreneurs, bankers, uh, venture capitalists, and just good people who like to share good experiences and uh, lots of ideas. Yeah, and and you know, I I love it when uh, some of my engineers or my salespeople or employees would would be surfers because they would still get to work at eight o'clock in the morning because um, they would do the surfing really early in the day and you know they'd be fine for the rest of the day, kind of like nice and refreshed. How could people or companies get in touch with you if they're interested in some of your chipsets or some of uh, your technology? Well, the very best way is uh, if you look at a website, you'll see what we're currently offering. If you are indeed interested in what we're doing next, uh, depending on the focus of your company, the best means is probably to contact uh, myself directly uh, and or info at cilantro.com is a good way also to get a hold of uh, generic information. So how do you spell cilantro? I know the wrong way to spell it, but what's the right way to spell it? It is not the spice. Uh, it is. Uh, it, it, it stands for sun and the man. Uh, Sol is for sun. S O L A N T R O for anthropos, uh, which is man. Sun and man. Oh, okay. It's a it's a good good acronym, and and it's good that you have S O L in there. Um, nothing wrong with spices, I, I might add, but um, I'm I'm glad that we've got the spelling there. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got on this week's energy show. Uh, thanks, Antoine, and thanks for listeners for joining us today. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamonsolar.com and listen to the podcasts. 